On May 9th, John Thompson, director of the United States Census Bureau, announced he's stepping down from his job, effective June 30th. The announcement came after Thompson testified to Congress that the cost of the 2020 census would reach about $12.5 billion. Thompson was expected to remain with the census through the end of this year. The episode of Stats and Stories you're about to hear features Thompson talking about the work of the Census Bureau, as well as its preparations for the 2020 count. It was recorded about a month before Thompson announced his resignation from the agency. Every 10 years, the federal government starts counting households, individuals, in order to find out just how many people live in the United States. The next U.S. Census will take place in 2020, and the U.S. Census Bureau has spent the last several years preparing for the count. The U.S. Census, what it does, how it works, is the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me in the studio are regular panelists John Baylor, Chair of Miami Statistics Department, and Richard Campbell, Chair of Media, Journalism, and Film. Our special guest today is Census Bureau Director John Thompson, who's been in that position since 2013. Thank you so much for being here. John, I'm delighted to be here. could you describe uh, the path that led you to the U.S. Census? Certainly. I went to school at um, Virginia Tech, and I graduated with a master's in mathematics with a strong emphasis on statistics. And I went to the Census Bureau as a mathematical statistician. I worked there for 27 years in various positions, mostly in statistics. My last job there after 27 years was the um, career person in charge of the 2000 census. Mm. Then I uh, retired from the Census Bureau and went to the private sector and was fortunate enough to work at NORC at the University of Chicago, which is a smaller nonprofit social science research company. And I was fortunate enough there to become president. And then in 2013, I decided that it was time to do public service. And so I came back to the Census Bureau to help them with their programs, including the 2020 census. What's the difference between a census and a survey? There's a couple things. Most surveys are based on some kind of sample, mostly a probabilistic sample, and they don't interview every household in the universe. They interview a sample. <laughs> but the, the census is actually a complete enumeration of the entire population. And so in, in each census that we've done, we have tried our best to count everyone in the United States once, only once, and in the right place. <laughs> What kind of problems do you have? I mean, in, in a census where you actually can't do a sample, you have to talk to everybody. So what are some of the obstacles in getting everybody to contribute to the, the work of the census? Well, you, you could put the obstacles in sort of two buckets. One bucket would be all the work that you have to do and the logistics that you have to do to be ready to take a census. And for the 2020 census, we're totally changing the way we uh, have taken the census by in introducing a lot of uh, new automation and mobile technology. But the other area that, that is a challenge is to reach out to the American people and explain to them why it's important to be counted in the census. And we do this in a number of ways. Um, we have devoted a lot of money and funds towards paid advertising and for what we call our partnership program. And that's where we 
hire a number of individuals that work with local communities and local governments to really get the word out as to why it's important to respond to the census, how it will benefit them, and also that the information we collect is very private, it's very confidential, we don't reveal our data to anyone, so we protect the information that we get. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the logistical issues and describe some of that? I mean, I'm, I imagine on, when the census is occurring, you're, you're one of the biggest employers in the country at that time, aren't you, when you're doing the right, census? Right, Um We're going to this census, we'll probably hire around between three and 400,000 people wow. at peak, and that will be in 2020, primarily in May and June of 2020. So let me explain a little bit about the census. The first thing we have to do is build an accurate address list, and we do this working throughout the decade by getting information from the U.S. Postal Service, for which we have a great partnership by working with uh, local governments to, to get address information from them and feature information, which are boundaries and roads, so we can update our database. The next important endeavor in the census is actually inviting people to self-respond to the census. So in the past, we have done that strictly via a paper questionnaire that we mailed out. For the 2020 census, we're going to offer the Internet as a primary option, oh. but also offer both response via a paper questionnaire and also a response via telephone. And then comes the really, really challenging operation for for each census that, that has occurred I, going back to, through the decades, and that is for those individuals that don't self-respond, we have to go out and collect an information from every household. And in the past few censuses, the self-response rate has been a little over um, 60%. And so what that, that means is that we've had to go out for almost 40% of the households wow. in the United yeah. States mm-hmm. and collect a response. In the past, that's been a paper and pencil operation. For this census, we're going to be equipping our census workers with mobile technology, that is a smartphone. We're going to be equipping their uh, supervisors with a, uh, a tablet so that we can use mobile technology to manage the workforce and introduce great efficiencies. Oh, very cool. When you get pushback from uh, this 40% that doesn't <laughs> respond, how are the workers sort of trained to deal with people, for instance, to say, well, the government, they're just spying on us. We're not giving them any information. I mean, there's got to be a, a certain yeah. number of people that have that sort of reaction. Yeah, so we spend a bit of time training our, our, we call them enumerators, on why the census is important and how to explain that to respondents, to potential respondents to get their information. But like I said, the other thing we do is we also work with our partnership program with local communities to get um, trusted voices in the local areas to, to speak on behalf of the Census Bureau and explain to people that when somebody knocks on their door from the census, it is a good thing to respond to them. You're listening to Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. The topic today, the U.S. Census. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Joining me are panelists, Miami University Statistics Department Chair John Baylor and Media, Journalism, and Film Department Chair Richard Campbell. Our special guest is John Thompson, Director of the U.S. Census Bureau. So, John... The census obviously collects a wealth of data, and I teach journalism here at Miami, and a lot of times my students are, they play with the U.S. census data trying to find stories. Are there stories that are in the data that you wish journalists would do a better job of sort of mining out? 
you know, we're, we're fortunate at the Census Bureau that we have a lot of information from a variety of different sources that we make available. What we try to do are find ways to allow various consumers of our information to easily access the data and then turn that into to stories. And so we do things like if we're going to have a major data release, we will allow the media to access it on an embargoed basis so that they can yeah. write informed stories. We have uh, a series of um, tools that we've made available for specific aspects of our data. So we have something that's on our website called the City SDK or City Software Development Kit, which is a tool aimed at developers so they can access our API and get data easily that way. We have a tool that we call Census Business Builder, which links two of our data sets so that entrepreneurs and small business owners can access data that might help them make informed decisions. And we have a team of individuals across the United States that we call data dissemination specialists. And they work with a variety of governments, local organizations, in individuals that are interested in our data to help expose our data to them and instruct them in how to use our data easily. Why is it so important that we get this information? What's, what's some of the, the, the training that you do with the people that you're sending out to, to reach that 40% and some of the stories that you tell about the importance? So the, the Sentinel Census has uh, a number of really, really critical functions. So the first function is apportioning the House of Representatives. Another important function is that the data we collect is used in drawing fair and representative congressional districts and you know and local legislative districts as well. And so this this provides the basis for fair representation at local communities. We also conduct a, a major survey in conjunction with the census called the American Community Survey. And this collects a, a variety of information that, that's used to allocate over $400 billion a year in federal funding. And so it's, it's also important for communities to get their numbers right so that they are eligible to receive these funds. Over the years you've been doing this, what are some of your sort of frustrations as, as in terms of the ways that the census is represented in, in news media articles? And a second part of this question is, what could journalists do? do a little bit better than maybe they're doing right now? We're pretty lucky that a lot of our, our data gets, uh, <laughs> you know, consumed in, in a good way. But, yeah. there, but sometimes <laughs> there, there are some complex issues which do get the lines blurred. So, for example, we, we recently released the results of what we call our national content test. And this was a, a, a process that we used to determine, to do research on how we would collect race and ethnicity data for mm. the 2020 mm. census. And this included a new category for Middle Eastern and North African people. There was a little bit of frustration in there is that when these data came out, there were a lot of stories that said the Census Bureau is recommending that this be included on the 2020 census. And we really weren't saying that in what we were releasing. We, we, were, we were saying that we have collected data to show that we have some new things that will produce accurate data. But the next step we want to go forward with is now working with the Office of Management and Budget to go forward and determine the actual questions that would go on the 2020 census. We don't, at the Census Bureau, unilaterally decide what goes on to the census or our American Community Survey. That's a very deliberative process we go through with the Office of Management and Budget that represents all the federal government needs that should be included there. You mentioned some of the technology that's being used now. 
What are some of the other really big changes that you've seen in the census over the last two or three decades? That's that's a great question. So I, I started working at the Census Bureau at the tail end of the 1970 census. That's how okay. far back I go. And the methodology has been essentially the same, and that is, you know, we construct an address list. We have to have ge- geographic resources that will let us process that address list and assign it to a piece of geography. We've done a mail-out inviting self-response, and we've done automated collection of the information off the questionnaires that are mailed back. But over the years, the way that's changed has been kind of dramatic. So you've seen just the growth in the geospatial industry, and that's been a great boon to us using, you know, all all the new geographic tools that can put in place processes that, that, that we didn't have before. We've also seen real advances in the ability to process paper by doing scanning and intelligent character recognition. And this census, the culmination of that will be using mobile technology now to collect the information from those individuals that don't self-respond. There are some challenges, though, I should say, that, that we've also seen, and that is it's getting harder and harder to get high response rates to the surveys that we do, and that's for a number of reasons. It's just that, that the American population is more diverse, you know, they're more mobile, there's different ways of communication, and we have to work a lot harder and offer a lot more ways to respond to keep up with that. What doesn't the general public understand about the work of the census? What are some of the things that could be communicated to them? I mean, I know you do this, but in terms of just your own frustrations with, you know, well, trying to do a census. That, that's also a good question. So I think there's, there's two big areas there. One area is, uh, you know, the Census Bureau collects a, a lot of information. We do an economic census. We do an American Community Survey. We produce income and poverty estimates. We produce 13 major economic indicators. But I think a lot of the general public uh, thinks that we just do the census every 10 years. <laughs> so that's one issue that, that we're constantly working with. And the other issue, again, is really working to convince the American people that, one, the information they provide is very important, and two, that, that we keep it very, very confidential. That's the big a big challenge we were always facing that 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 we do not share data with anyone it comes in us and it's it's held very secure you're listening to stats and stories our discussion today focuses on the u.s census our guest is census bureau director john thompson john you've been there since what'd you say the end of the 1970 census i think it's what you said earlier is yeah, there I took a little 12-year break after the 2000 census, but I'm back. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So over the course of your career, is there a trend in sort of the demographics that you've noticed that you've found surprising in sort of the makeup of the American population or, again, maybe something that's undercovered or, you know, just something that you've noticed over time that, that you think is really interesting? One, just looking at the data, the American population has become, you know, more diverse by far. I don't think that's that's surprising to people that, that follow the numbers. The other thing that we've seen is the opportunities to really use technology in ways that we couldn't when I started. So when I started, we, we actually really didn't even have, you know, <laughs> IBM, many, many computers <laughs> or laptops. <laughs> and, and we certainly didn't have iPhones and iPads or tablets. But the technology has just been has, has been very enabling. What would be one of the biggest surprises people might learn about about working in a census or about about what happens in a census? 
it might not be a surprise, but it is just a huge logistical effort to conduct a census. And the amount of precision and planning and management that has to go into it is, uh, I think, a lot more than, than people would think. The other thing that, that also, I think, surprises a lot of people is the cost of the census. And because you have to really, like, you're not doing a survey. You're, you're actually going to every housing unit. And so that, that will cost a lot of money. So for, in 2010, the census costs a little over $12 billion. And wow. we, we right now, we're introducing a lot, of, a lot of efficiencies for the 2020 census. So we think we'll also do it for probably around $12.5 billion. That's amazing. But it's, that's still a lot uh, of money. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. There's a lot of talk about fake news and alternative facts. And as college professors and as teachers sort of responsible for helping our students learn about evidence, uh, data, numbers, uh, how to tell stories that are accurate and truthful. Uh, Do you have any ideas on what we can do both as journalists and as statisticians to support informed decision making? You know, I think the important thing that that we do, and I think the important thing that, 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 that you do is educate people on, one, the value of data, and two, how to use data to make informed decisions and not and, and stress that and stress that. I'm going to ask a, a journalism question now. You know, so, so when you say the value of data, one of the things my, my journalism friends will say is that, you know, there's a story here. There's sort of this, this narrative. So, I, you know, you had, you had mentioned earlier that the ACS was associated with about a $400 billion of federal fund allotment. What are some of the impacts of that? What are some of the ways in which that's being used? Sure. So it's used for, for a number of purposes, uh, like to, to support block grant funding, to support um, our transportation infrastructure and planning for that to support where you would put schools and and money for schools. The other thing, though, that the American Community Survey also does, it also provides a valuable resource for cities, localities, and for businesses. And a couple examples of just how that can be used is the city of New Orleans took some of the American Community Survey data on age and, and low income to identify areas in their cities that they should prioritize a program for giving out smoke detectors to mm. prevent, oh. you know, deaths from fires, which we thought was was really, really an ingenious use of our data. And then in the private sector, there's lots of uses of our data that actually creates opportunities and jobs. So, for example, Target Company uses our data to make decisions on, on what to put in stores so that Things are readily lo- available in localities. There's a company, geospatial company, Esri, which yeah. uses a lot of our data to put together a product that, that they call business analysts. They will then use to help businesses really make informed decisions. John, so you you mentioned that you went basically straight from school into working for the federal government. What advice might you have for students who would like to have a job in the federal government down the road, whether it's the census, census or another stats focused organization. Why should they be thinking about? What should they be studying? That's really interesting. I was talking to some people at Virginia Tech uh, last night about that very topic. And the advice I was giving them was it's good to understand both computational sciences, how to, you know, how to, how to, how to process data. But the other thing that's really important is also to have a grounding in mathematics and statistics mm-hmm. so that you understand not only how to process the data, but how to do it right. And that's the kind of thing 
that would get you a good job, I believe, not just in the federal government, but in any company that's using, that relies on quantitative methods. So in your job, like when, when you went to school and studied what you did, you you today you have to deal with the public. You have to deal with the media. You know, how, yeah. how would you describe your training for that kind of work yeah. and what helped you through through that to, to know that you had to not only be able to talk to people that yeah. didn't have statistical backgrounds, but you had to communicate with, uh, find different ways to communicate complex material to uh, yeah. more general audiences? I, I learned a little bit of that um, when I was in college, but the real training I, I received there was was when I was at the Census Bureau. They had a they had a really good way, and they still do have a really good way of bringing in young people and helping them develop throughout their careers and, and understanding that to be fully successful and to grow and reach executive positions, you have to be able to communicate with the public, one, and two, you have to be able to take complex quantitative topics and translate them into ways in which the uh, the general public can understand them. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of mentoring and a lot of, you know, investment in in my development that the Census Bureau did. So let me let me follow up on that. So what's what's the hardest story to communicate about census work? I think that varies with different audiences because there's different interests in the census. It's so diverse. So one of one of the issues we were just doing, we just held 18 consultations with American tribal leaders and mm-hmm. their focus was on how we collect information on their on their reservations and we had to really work with them to communicate with them why, you know, it's important to them to respond to the census and also how we would do the census on their reservations. And then there are other groups which also are different and have different needs. But it's it's really, there's just a really diverse group of of different organizations, different individuals, different stakeholders that we have to uh, deal with. Like, for example, the Congress is also a very, very important stakeholder. And they're, they're they're really more interested in you know are are you spending your money appropriately are you on schedule to do a successful census sure and you know what, various issues about that. What do you like best about working at the census? I've, I've been fortunate throughout my career, both at the census and at NORC, that I've been able to do things that actually will have a meaningful effect on the lives of the American people and will help advance. Uh, various uh, societal goals. So the work that I've been able to do has had an impact on improving the conditions of, of the American people. Well, John Thompson, director of the U.S. Census Bureau, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. That's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter or iTunes. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.